This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There's no place like home for the holidays or homedepot.com for holiday decor with great low prices on decorations inside and out, like artificial Christmas trees to light up the living room, outside lights and playful inflatables that bring joy to the neighborhood. Order online and you'll even get free delivery. Holiday decorating improved with a wide assortment of holiday decor from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Free standard shipping on most online orders over $45. Some exclusions apply while supplies last. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee. Ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. You know what I want. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast, our most Samson folk. A new episode for the first time since the round table was done, and I'm excited to bring on a wonderful writer, one of my favorite writers, so much so that her written words get sent directly to my email in the way of basketball feelings. It's Katie Heindel. You trust this girl and what she has to say, whether you're a listener or an editor. Katie Heindel, how are you? I'm good. I like that riff. Yeah, bringing um, it back to uh, bringing it back to the newsletter, huh? Yeah, well, nice. you know, yeah, it's <laughs> nice. kind of what I'm known for. I like <laughs> to bring it back around. It's kind of my thing. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on on Christmas Eve. Yeah, big day, big day for a <laughs> magical <KDFM>. podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I want to talk to you first about. We were going to record roughly at the time of the <laughs> Dallas game until we both realized, oh, maybe that won't work. And then I asked you, hey, did you want to record another time? You said, yes, of course. But also, how was that game, the largest comeback in Raptors history? That game was great. And I have to say, what a great professional writer I am that you were the one who was like, hmm, I'm not sure if you're going to have time to record. <laughs> and I was like, why? The game's at 6. No, the game was at 3.30. So <laughs> I did not have time. Thank you. Because I would have been so upset if I missed that amazing game. The game was crazy. It was a great game. Any highlights from it? Uh yeah, I mean, the comeback. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, most, yeah. most definitely. Because it was kind of, at first, it was really like, you know, low, low-ish low energy, sort of like your typical Sunday matinee game. Uh, like, late in the December season, the sense of like, the year's coming to a close, nobody's paying that close of attention, including the Raptors. Um, Dallas started to like, really get up by a lot it was one of those games where i was like writing working looking up and then be like oh shit now they're down by 20 like it just happened really fast but i will say as fast as that happened so did the comeback because 
it was kind of like Larry was just like, okay, time to get to work. Um, and the, like the speed in which they closed that gap and like the ease in which they closed it, phenomenal. Or sorry, on a scale of the internship with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson yes. to Fast and Furious, whichever one is the fastest and furious. Where does that comeback rank with roughly two minutes and 21 <laughs> seconds left in the third quarter, down by 30, and coming back to win the game? Where does it rank for you? See, it was fast, but it wasn't, like, very furious. The, like, they were kind of having the same level of fun, which I think the internship, I watched it recently on a plane, underrated movie, still holds up. <laughs> I was very, like, pleased, like, pleasantly surprised with that. Um, but it was like the, the best thing about it was the energy and how much everyone was having fun. Like, I know after the game, Larry was like, eh, it wasn't really me. It was like the bench, but it was him <laughs> and some of the bench. But he was just like, it's that kind of like quintessential Larry when not only is he like hitting all his shots and he's completely dialed in, but like he's having such a good time with everything. Because there were shots where like, you know, people would be like gasp you could hear the collective gasp or like someone beside me and press row would be like no way and then it would like hit (laughs) like everything was hitting um and everyone was just like so joyful like the it was like a deafening noise in the whole arena you know people were jumping up out of their seats someone in press row broke their seat because they jumped up with such force um (laughs) because they were so (laughs) excited and like that was like that was the vibe and i think it was really it it was one of those things where you feel one you're so charged up but then you're also like how lucky are we to have kyle lowry on the raptors this player who can just like make he can he can generate that kind of comeback yes but he can also generate the kind of energy that's like necessary in that kind of comeback which is like extremely rare i think yeah well it was the first time in over 10 years. It was mm-hmm. 10 years in a day. So saying over 10 years is kind of, you know, it's misleading. But I don't care. Well, it did remind me of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, sorry, that he's, like, he has generated these kinds of comebacks before. Yes, to your point, there hasn't been I was just about to reference one. Yeah. <laughs> there was the game right before the All-Star break against the Charlotte Hornets when they had to sit DeMar DeRozan, and it was the first extended look at... Norman Powell and Jakob Pertl and DeLon Wright with Kyle Lowry and they came back after not being able to score at all in the game and it was the first maybe bench mob-esque thing where those guys, DeLon, Jakob were able to turn defense into offense next to Lowry Mm -hmm. and it felt like very similar in this Dallas game. By the way listener, Katie also writes for Uproxx and Yahoo The Athletic on occasion (laughs) And Raptors Republic. I didn't get that off the top. I was too busy riffing. I wanted to make references. But I'd just like to let you know that right now. Thanks. Thank you. And it's true. Everything he said is true. Perfect. Yeah. I was actually, I was uh, at that game because I'm writing a piece on Tim Hardaway Jr. So uh, a little challenging after that game to try and get the best out of him. Because of the loss. But uh, that was an interesting thing to experience. That just was like. There a, was there a question you had planned to ask him that seemed ridiculous in the wake of a 30 point blow, oh, like loss? Yeah. 
Yeah, like primarily with his winning shooting ability as of late. (laughs) (laughs) But you still got to ask those questions. So, and to his credit, a very, like a professional and understood we were talking bigger picture. But difficult uh, energy to like step into a, a locker room where the entire team has just been slapped by one Kyle Lowry. I'll wax poetic about Kyle Lowry for for longer than I'm supposed to, I'm sure. And (laughs) to to move it along, the first question I had for you outside of... Oh, yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, outside (laughs) of your involvement in the game, what was your favorite present that you received as a child? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And while you think, I'll also acknowledge, yes, the internship definitely holds up. It's one of those movies I go back to if I want to fall asleep. It's such an easy watch, and uh, there's there's a lot of dynamism in the movie. It's it's not so bad, but, not but so back bad. to you. Yeah, I didn't know this is gonna get really like psychological, but I should have known. It's you and your questions. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you and your questions. Oh, that well, I wish I had. <laughs> I can. I'm happy to uh, answer this, but I'm also happy to tie it back to the raptors because uh a gift that really stands out for me and i think it was kind of like around the time almost like around the time the team came into existence because i think like there's no shame in admitting when you're a kid who is just starting to like get into basketball and you're also like what is the sport you know my exposure to it had been pretty limited locally you know, we didn't have a team, didn't have anything in Canada. So to get on board with like the branding and the Raptor and like the look of the team in that way uh, and went into the, the time when you most want a starter jacket, which I feel like is between sixth and eighth grade. I got a Raptors starter jacket for Christmas one year, uh, like one of the like a really like not even a throwback hasn't done this justice just like extremely loud (laughs) extremely like over the top uh and i wore it i wore it every single day well into summer well into summer wow that's i remember i was working at full ocker some years ago and the starter jackets had made a comeback Mm mm-hmm and I saw a Raptors one and a Hornets one. They had all the, the throwbacks, but it seemed like they were missing something. And maybe it was Katie Heindel to be wearing it at the time to make it to make it work. Did you, did you ever get any really great compliments about it? Was it was it a hot button issue at school to think, hey, Katie's got this sweet jacket. We love those Raptors. And now she's wearing it all around the school day in, day out. <laughs> Well into summer. You kind of run a risk, I feel like, at that age because you want to look cool and have cool stuff and, like, be uh, admired and, like, acknowledged by your peers for it and hope that you have friends that will support you. But it also is a very testy age. And I don't know if it's as much for boys as, like, girls at that age, but there can be very weird, like, power, uh, like, dynamic shifts almost on the daily. And, like, girls young friendships and I feel like you know one day you're friends the next day you're enemies with someone but you you don't actually know why or what you did so you got to be cool but you can't even appear too cool 
or like too eager or look like you're trying too hard. Everything is just about like existing <laughs> and like yeah, the least that. amount of disruption that you can. So uh, throwing the jacket in the mix was kind of tricky. You don't want to come off looking like, you know, you're trying too hard. But it was a power play. It was a power play. I mean, yeah, I think I hope I had the sense to like, I probably just wore it, but didn't really talk about it. You know? Okay. Calm, cool, collected. Yeah. yeah. I had I had a Phoenix Suns hat, and it was a throwback snapback, one of the old ones, before the snapbacks came back into vogue. And I loved that hat. And at that point in time, it was when girls would wear your hat if they liked you. And I had a really cool hat. So that intersection became quite a... It was a common thing. The worst thing that ever happened to me, though, in school, and I, I don't even know if this happened, but I was told this happened. I, for some reason, one day, I took the hat off and a very small moth flew out from under it. <laughs> and it ruined me. Like a moth flew out from your head? Like, uh, for some <laughs> reason, there was a moth <laughs> between the hat and my oh, head, no. I guess so, and oh, that no. it took away the shine of the hat completely, and it everyone called me Moth Boy and Half Squat for the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Do you see? Do you get a little bit um, anxious when you see Phoenix Suns gear? It, only because of you know my my feelings about Kelly Oubre Jr. and Ricky Rubio but no other there's there's something there but no other reason besides that no other latent psychological trauma no my dad's a student counselor and we we worked it out we went through a lot of talks and, oh good uh, yeah we good. figured it out good I watched a lot of slideshows of moths <laughs> and learning their motivations things around that he was just trying to get to the light yeah. but I I genuinely was so upset because I loved that hat, but it was then tainted. Yeah, and you can never wear that hat again at that age. No, it was it was over. Mm-hmm. I had a I never had a starter jacket. They weren't popular, but I had like a Jordan brand varsity jacket. Okay. But it, nobody liked basketball in my school, so I didn't really ever get to wear it. They thought it was too much. I also had bright purple shoes. They also thought that was too much. But once yeah, I came here comes to Saskatoon, Moth Boy. Yeah, off boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I have a favorite present. I can't. Maybe I can't remember. I remember my brother though. He got the fourth season of The Simpsons when he was maybe twelve. Okay. He lost his mind, and that's the most <laughs> visceral. <laughs> that's the most visceral present I can remember anyone ever getting. It was like a come to Jesus moment. Like The Simpsons today. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe it. But maybe to move this along, on to my next question. And it's regarding Kyle Lowry, the player okay. that we both enjoy so much. And it is from your fantastic feature on him for Uproxx and a quote from it. Mm-hmm. Oversimplified, maybe. But everything else, Lowry's attitude and the running commentary on it, his longevity in the league, his talent, is an outcome of not taking Lowry at face value. Now. Do you think after this incredible string of games that the fandom has a better sense of his worth? Or is this fleeting? I mean, what's frustrating to me is, like, I honestly don't feel like I can help the people that are still looking for proof or, like, needed even that game 
the Dallas game as proof of the fact. To me, if you didn't believe it by then already, like almost like to me, like the, the, the playoffs were the proof. And I know Kawhi, like I get it. Like we didn't, we didn't get there without Kawhi Leonard, but we didn't get there without Lowry. And then you didn't get there without Lowry. And you have to, in that, you have to take into consideration his entire career because it's just been like an uphill build. Yeah, there have been some dips, you know, and places where like you're kind of like, oh, what's he doing? Like, what could this mean? But like he's always come back and he's like carried this team to where it is. And if anything, it's like he's just almost on his way to coming full circle. So like a very roundabout answer to your question is if you're still looking for proof, unfortunately, I don't think you're ever going to find it because just by virtue of looking, you just like, you're still waiting to be convinced. And like, I'm sorry to say, Larry doesn't need to convince anybody anymore, in my opinion. Evidenced by him pointing to, you know, a fake ring, a non-existent ring around his finger after missing a huge shot in the Pacers game. He decided to flex (laughs) on the fans like, yeah, but I have a ring. So he obviously does not care what anyone thinks. He's just going to resort back to that, which power move. I would liken that to wearing a starter jacket every day, well into summer, by the way. What do you think? Absolutely. And I mean, look, like, think of like the greatest, the crowning achievement of like your own life. It doesn't mean that you didn't go on to have like extremely shitty days after that. You know what I mean? And like at the end of the day for Lowry, like this is his job. It is his job. It is like, yes, a huge part of his life right now, but it's just like, it's his work a day <laughs> routine. And like, sometimes there's going to be shitty days in that where there's like other elements at play. That game specifically would have been a tough game to win no matter what. Like a back-to-back, they had to travel. It was actually extremely close until it wasn't. But like, that's just sports, man. Yeah, well, if you type in Kyle Lowry Hall of Fame, one of the first things that comes up is is my piece pitching it. And <laughs> the first thing I ever wrote for Raptors Republic was titled, We Don't Need to Worry About Kyle Lowry. And Blake told me... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Blake told me, "Oh, this will be good right now." Not everyone agrees on this, and it was like, "Yeah, how how crazy is that?" People but he won't is... ever, you know what I mean? Like, people, there's always going to be someone looking for a reason not to like Kyle Lowry. He he is polarizing for reasons I don't understand because I'll never, I'll just never think that way. And like you, you can't convince me otherwise. So, in that I know I feel that way. I've stopped trying to convince other people. I'll still always write about him because he's one of the most interesting, like my fandom aside, I think he's like one of the most interesting players, not just in the league today, but in the league in like the last 10 years. And he keeps getting more interesting. Yeah, well, there's he's mercurial a little bit, but also I think it's quite clear that he's very, very intelligent. So smart, yes. And how he navigates everything, the court or how he's speaking to media, it's so evident what type of intelligence he's working with and that he's not trying to let everybody in on that. He's aloof with it. Mm-hmm. And you just the fruits of his labor are borne out in other parts of his life, whereas some people, when they're really, really intelligent, they like to put it on display rather than use it to you know orient themselves without saying anything. But Lowry is the opposite. It's just 
this quiet command of his life and the court and seemingly everything that he puts his fingers on, including the players he mentors, OG, Pascal, whatever, it's success comes with it because of, you know, his intellect, his work ethic, his, there's an ethereal essence to Kyle Lowry that I don't think anybody has ever been able to sum up properly. Mm-hmm. And which is maybe more fun because that means that everyone will keep trying and we'll have more <laughs> and more opinions from more and more voices about how special Kyle Lowry is and was. And I'm, I'm happy that you're one of those because I think your feature was very, very good. And much like a basketball feelings post, there's <laughs> there's some poetry in what you write that is just so it's very nice to read. And to have that coupled with Kyle Lowry is, is great. So I was very happy to read that. And I was very happy to read a quote from it. But Thank yeah, you. I, I love Kyle. <laughs> He's fantastic. Do you have a favorite Kyle moment of this season? Uh, do I? I mean, that like that's up there. That's for sure. Like just, I don't know. There was one shot in that Dallas game. He shot it from like forever away, like so far away. And it didn't even hit the rim it just like sunk right below the rim into the net and then it kind of like shushed against the net and like sprung back forward against like the front of the net and just like the force at which it hit and like I don't know there was something extremely beautiful about it I think that's when the the person's chair broke next to me um (laughs) but yeah no I like I'll say that that game because I think like this one, this season hasn't been going on that long, even though it feels like it's maybe it has. He was out for like a pretty big chunk of it. I enjoyed watching him watch the games when he was out. I was sad he wasn't playing. But I do think like when he's watching, he's working almost just as hard because you see that when he goes into games like the Dallas game, the games before, and now that he's fully back in the rotation, he's taken everything he's learned by watching the team. And, like, put that into practice, you know? I think, like, this is a kind of a cop-out because it's not one moment. But I've enjoyed seeing how he has stepped more fully. He was, like, always a decent, like, distributor. And he did a lot more of that last year with Kawhi. But now really, like, stepping fully into this role of, like, playmaking and not just, like, like, really thoughtful playmaking. When he did that lob to Boucher and Boucher dunked it. And then Boucher said after the game even, like, He's like, yeah, I wasn't even going for the dunk. I was going for the rebound. But Lowry, in his mind, saw already what Boucher could do before he could do it. Before he saw himself doing it. You know what I mean? Those are the kinds of elements and moments that I think, like, really, if you don't believe in Kyle Lowry's intelligence in those times, I think you're hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's... I love the Boucher and Lowry duo because Boucher is an agent of chaos and Lowry is an agent of precognition. So it's it's tough because Lowry is looking for Boucher to come running in to break like a, a bull in a china shop. And that's what made that, that game-winning dunk at the end of the Dallas game so fun because I'm sure Boucher had no idea that he was going to be dunking it. Suddenly, he's he's just running, catching up on offense. Lowry has attracted three players to him, opened up the lane completely, and because he's such a heady passer, the guy who's supposed to be tagging Boucher, rolling to the rim, is 
hanging out, probably trying to take away the corner three on the opposite side. And Boucher comes in and throws down a dunk. All because of Lowry, how he's able to manipulate everything. But mm-hmm. I do like that you highlighted the team this year. And there's no doubt that this Raptors team has been incredibly rewarding to watch up until this point. And if you, what about this island of misfit toys, let's say, <laughs> do you enjoy the most? And what does it say about life that the world, that in the world, that anyone in the NBA, in the tip-top percent of what they do, and that make incredible money, but so many of them can be made to feel cast away? What does that <laughs> say? Players, you mean? Yes, players. Yeah. No, well, no, the toys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you meant as fans. Thanks. I know you didn't mean toys. Let's get snarky. <laughs> Let's um, do it. I think that one, the first part of your question, I think that why it's working so well or why it seems like so much fun or like why the, it's why the Raptors are excelling, excelling at it is because like you forget like that aside from last year, this sort of like disparate piece team where you're just kind of like figuring out weird lineups, like trying to like, you know, almost like alchemize player relationships and chemistry as you go that's like where the Raptors are most comfortable because like that's where kind of this team had to operate out of for so long with like not a lot of star power not like wanting to draw these like well no one wanted to come to Toronto to like draw these big names up here so that now like this year even if you assumed like the Raptors went into this year healthy and everybody was healthy and we didn't have like this kind of rash of injuries that we did it is still a team of like misfits and I would like even hazard to like go so far as to say without those injuries, you wouldn't have the kind of pressure like nurse said this uh, post game, but just like historically it's a team that fights and like, no, he hasn't always been in the head coaching position to see that, but he's been around enough to understand like there's like a pressure point for the Raptors where they either like fight, like they catch up and fight or they're like, I don't know. But I actually haven't seen the contrary of that for a long time where they just kind of like throw in the towel. They are like less apt to do that. And I think the way you do that and the way that's been proven to do that is like you just get weirder and weirder with the rotations and like you give all these other players an opportunity to like shine and to prove it. Because like that is like historically who works in the Raptor system. It's like castaways from other teams who are perfectly good, like, they're good enough to be in the NBA. It's just, like, they're not good enough to get minutes when you've got, like, a juggernaut kind of, like, star-studded roster that people maybe want to see more on television. Does it make for more entertaining basketball? Not really. And I think, like, I really am enjoying, as a Raptors fan, looking more, like, league-wide and seeing the response because people are finally seeing, because of the championship, they're watching the Raptors, but they're finally seeing how fun of a team it is and how fun it can be when you've got like a weirdo group of misfits. The difference is they don't play like that because they, because they also play as like a cohesive unit, but that's like due to chemistry and more like invisible factors. And also I think like very smart playmaking and determination, but like they, I don't know. It's like a really rare quality. And I think I've gotten off track, but like definitely (laughs) 
it's something that you could really like theorize and talk about for a really long time. And it's something that when you watch other teams, like, you know, you, you kind of realize how spoiled we are because other teams, even when they ostensibly have a great star, like I love watching the Bucks because I love watching Giannis, but like there's like kind of a most like that they play more technically and it's a bit more of like a flat quality of basketball, you know, where the Raptors are sort of like there's like hiccups and weird false starts and like explosive moments and like blunders sometimes, but like you're never bored. They're they're an incredible team to watch and it definitely lends itself to and I've always been I've always disliked the idea that it's rings or bust and there's no other way to view the NBA. I think it it makes the game seem so much worse that way because this, the Raptors, for example, who it's going to be very, very difficult for the Raptors to win a championship this year with without Kawhi Leonard in tow, obviously. Who knows? Anything can happen. But that doesn't mean that it's based in entertainment. And I know that's their job and it's it's great for teams to win the championship. Obviously, everybody who's listening to this podcast, you and I, we're reveling in the Raptors championship and the season afterwards, so that's important. But also, the Raptors this year are maybe just an ode to how fun the regular season can be mm-hmm. and how meaningful basketball on a Sunday matinee game for who maybe a kid that got to go to a basketball game for the first time that now has that instilled in him or her that were they were able to enjoy that game and kids who or people who get to watch the games and that's like semblance of something nice for them is just that's what the game is that's the purpose it serves that's you know it's intended function in society even though it's grown to something else and now it's big business and everything like that but at the very basis of it we're connecting with players like Kyle Lowry and to their stories and to Boucher Terrence Davis the second players like that and watching them succeed and becoming you know, invested in their success. And it's it's just really cool to watch so many players who have been, like you said, it's disparate pieces that have come together and maybe cast away from other teams because we are invested in their stories and to watch them come together under the emblem of the Raptors to find, you know, quite a modicum of success is probably the most the most enjoyable part of this season for me. And to watch young guys who... You know, I'm older than OG, I think, but I identify him as a young guy because that's just how you view it when you watch this game because they they are so abstract in a way, but you watch him improve and it's meaningful, Pascal as well, things like that. It's just, it's really cool to watch the Raptors and I, I did, <laughs> I just wanted to highlight that. I'm, I'm glad with what you said though, very, very happy. <laughs> it is cool. And like the last thing I will say about it though is I think, we are also lucky because in the league, in a league like the NBA, the longevity of teams obviously has a like a shelf life, barring even like trades, and it's rare for teams to like stick together for this long. But what we're kind of witnessing right now, and what the Raptors have made it clear that they're investing in, um, is like bringing up this young core, this young new core, and like they've 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 shown it first, but then they've gotten comfortable enough saying it, like you know. It's like Siakam, Fred, OG, Norman Powell, you know, guys like Boucher now have an opportunity to also like add to it. But you're seeing this like transition and it's like a generational shift in a team. And like that's super rare too, because teams don't necessarily have multiple generations of talent playing at the same time. Yeah, it's very Spurs-esque 
and mm-hmm. it spurs us but it's not boring <laughs> no <laughs> it's definitely not boring it's interesting though i like that you highlighted that the changing of the guard kind of mm-hmm. and maybe that's highlighted most by pascal siakam when he did how hungry are you when he was asked who's his point guard kyle or fred he said fred which yeah. seems crazy to probably you or to me because we were so attached to this rendition of the Raptors that is led by Kyle that mm-hmm. while we enjoy Fred's story, it's kind of unconscionable to think of Fred as our point guard. But Pascal highlights that it is a changing of the guard. Things are fluent and the Raptors are, even through so much success, in a transition period and that's and still being able to play so well in it while being able to have players improve in meaningful ways is is really cool. But mm-hmm. that is that is a good point. The changing of the guard. I have I have one last question for you, Katie, and it's okay. a long one. Oh boy! Because right. I'm going to be reading an excerpt from the latest Basketball Feelings, in which you said, "End quote." <laughs> With Doris Burke, it was like that. Sierra took me and physically stood me close enough that I could be there to seize a moment should it come. But where we were was somewhere I could have walked to by myself. But I was waiting for permission. When I saw, like physically saw it in strange slow motion, the moment crack opened to go up and introduce myself, it was clarifying and scary and overwhelming at once to see that permission out in the world like that is a barrier we use like a sign. In that, if I am given permission to do this, then I will. End quote. I love that. I loved it a lot because every self-help book that tells you you're a rock star and to dominate social interactions seems disconnected because it isn't quite that simple. You phrasing it that way made me think about how we naturally preserve the unknown by staying away from it, looking onward, frozen with inaction. How permission looks like different things to different people. It's fluid and changing. And since I'd like to try and relay this into basketball, <laughs> Nick Nurse's willingness to try things that other coaches laugh at league-wide is the success that he's found a reward for making himself vulnerable and doing these things without the league's permission in an abstract sense. Good question. And thanks for the highlight. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think like, I think what, like you, you've seen like Nurse sort of like revel in the successes and the successes are oftentimes highlighted less than the failures because I think like I wrote a lot of the times like we are more attuned to failure as like something to curb and like mandate our actions by because it's often the thing that like it's either embarrassing uh it feels like emotionally or like psychologically harmful to us like it it's like the easier barrier to follow, you know, hence being like afraid to go up and introduce yourself to like one of your idols. But then there's also something in realizing like when you get to the point where you realize like the worst thing about failing is just that. And then you kind of get past that point. You're like, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? This doesn't work. Or like this doesn't work how I've like pictured it. And then you think like, well, if I've already pictured past this point, that doesn't mean that that's like, enough of a reason to just do something and like for nurse like he already is like seeing in small ways I think for him like I'm sure the huge games and like the giant comebacks obviously like that's what's going to get talked about that's what's going to get picked up league-wide but it's like you can see like the the kind of specific weird coach's joy he takes out of like the small 
tweaks that he makes and the, the, the seemingly like strange decisions um, more almost than like the big culminative effects because like ultimately also like anything in life to get to those big successes it's always a result of just like continuing to plug away at something you know like I think that's the thing that's like most boring to talk about so like doesn't get equated with success all the time is like success is just the result of like you just gotta keep trying you know and like you gotta fuck up sometimes you gotta fail things can like blow up in your face but then like if you want to do it you you now are like more equipped than you ever were to make the right decision if you want to look at it that way um and I think nurses like done a really great job of that because by process of elimination and like kind of a hand that's forced dealt to him in like injury upon injury upon injury even like bench guys getting injured now he's got like less options to like throw into the roster if he gets in a tight spot but now he knows exactly what he can ask of every player to like a, a minute degree almost you know what I mean and like most coaches don't have that because most coaches aren't relying on like they're like you know 10th string guy down the line to like pull out like a game winning moment at like a very essential time because they have the luxury of like a healthy a more or less healthy starting unit so it's not ideal and it's certainly like you could get into I'm sure the longevity of playing like that um but you wouldn't have gotten there like without all those almost like mini failures you know what I mean yeah, definitely. You build upon what you fail upon, and then that eventually becomes success, as you equated better than I just did. <laughs> I, I'm I'm interested. How much would you pay for a Nick Nurse hat? What's the What's the highest you <laughs> I would? I wouldn't pay anything. <laughs> no, it's free or nothing. I don't. But if you got If you got one for free, would you wear it? Well <laughs> into summer. They're like very. If there's like maybe another colorway, I have to say this just might be like my. Uh, a, a generational thing but they're like way too close to a nine inch nails logo <laughs> for me <laughs> like there's something very gothic about them uh so i might sell it i'm sure the resale value would be quite high <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be way funnier to wear it to all the scrums <laughs> that he's in <laughs> wouldn't that be worth it no I think that'd be so funny i think right away he'd, he'd call you on it <laughs> But then you could you could feign ignorance and it would maybe become funnier. Mm, like what? Wait, are you? Is the assumption that I was given one or that I had one custom made? Either or. It doesn't matter how the hat came into being. <laughs> it's just that it comes about, and so clearly you aren't willing to pay for it. So no. let's let's say it was, <laughs> let's say a stork came in with it and it dropped it off at your front stoop. Provided that you have a stoop, not everybody does. But stork and a front stoop, an NN hat that was very reminding of uh, Nine Inch Nails and gothic stylistic ways. I don't actually know what Nine Inch Nails logo is, so that reference goes over my head, by the way. Give it a quick, <laughs> but, give it a quick Google afterwards. Okay, I will. Okay. Well, right before I'm editing war, what is it good for very loud into your intro, like a, a wrestler's bit? <laughs> I would wear a Nick Nurse hat to a Nick Nurse scrum. Okay. I, I think I don't know how many times I'd do it. I I'd pay I'd pay twenty five dollars for the bit. 
I'd, I'd pay $25 for the bit, definitely. So 25 bucks is how much I'd pay for a Nick Nurse hat. And you're, and you're still set at zero. Zero. And then what would you be prepared to say to him when he inevitably called you on wearing the hat? I think I would just leave it up to what I was feeling at the time. <laughs> I have a certain confidence in my ability to improv, especially with Nick Nurse. We have a bit of a rapport. So I... Uh, I'd go and I'd, I'd wing it. That's how okay. I feel about that. Okay, you'd do it in a in kind of a Nick Nurse style yourself. E- exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's fitting. It well, I've already put myself in vulnerable waters with with Nick Nurse. If he ever listens to the podcast, every once in a while, I have a Nick Nurse impression, and <laughs> if he hears it, <laughs> I don't know if he'll be happy. I'm not super <laughs> sure. <laughs> The the one response I got to it was, why does your Nick Nurse impression sound like Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards? And I thought I'd just respond with Bongiorno. I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, you gotta live your truth, man. Just like <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. I'm trying to think of one last thing to talk about before we end the podcast because, listener, I'm very sorry to say a tweet went out, but we received no uh, questions, which is understandable. It's the morning of Christmas Eve. Everybody's busy. But maybe this is a question, Katie. I don't think people are that busy, but that's fine. Busy with with family, maybe? Is that last-minute shopping? Maybe. How many times have you done shopping on the 24th? Or are you more prepared usually? Uh, usually pretty regularly. Like right after we get, we are finished, I need to go out and pick up some things. <laughs> uh, I That's do funny. a mix. I'll usually like do the big ones. And then what happens this day is I, I kind of panic because I'm like, oh, shoot. Like th- there's more I could have gotten, you know. The more right. time you give me before uh, Christmas in this case or like a holiday, the more time I will work myself into thinking there needs to be more done. Yeah, I kind of like it better with a short runway. Yeah, I thought, you know, I was like, well, I'm taking the plane ticket home. That's a present. Like, my presence is a present. Kiss my ass. Uh, Some (laughs) sort of quote like that. But it's, as I got here and we did, there was a preliminary night where there were some people who were at a family junction or function, I should say, a family <laughs> function, not a family <laughs> junction. <laughs> um, there were some people who were at a family function who weren't able to be there for Christmas, so there were some presents done then, and I said, oh, maybe I should be buying presents. So I went out and bought some presents. But also, my family, they they don't typically want anything from Mexico. They're not that keepsake so for some people in my family, I did get things from Mexico, just keepsakes and stuff like that, unique little cultural items, tile work mm-hmm. maybe. But beautiful. This, yes. Oh man, the tile work is especially in Puerto Vallarta. It's everywhere. It's one of my favorite things about there. Also, the heat definitely is nice. Yes. But yeah, 
I I definitely went shopping yesterday for people's presents and it's it is such an addictive thing to give people stuff especially if you're able and I can't believe rich people don't do it more shame on them unbelievable I love giving presents no man I I agree with you there's nothing like it giving a really good present I Mm -hmm. what would that be akin to is there an allegory or an analogy for that what does that feel like is there a basketball feeling? <laughs> can we can yeah, we tie this up in a really nice bow? Yeah, I feel like uh, we already talked about it. It's like the Lowry assist over to Boucher. Like he gave them the he gave him the gift of that moment. Uh, he gave him the gift of like standing out, probably having like one of the most standout plays of that game, getting to like put his stamp on it, and like elevating him. Elevating him in what was already going to be like a very exciting and memorable occasion. He let Boucher like tie his own bow on everything. And it was a career high. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) It all comes around. That's the feeling. I feel like the feeling when you give someone, whether it's the gift they really wanted or it's something that you have come up with yourself knowing that they'll really want it and they've given you no clues it must feel like I imagine what dunking feels like. <laughs> <laughs> dunking feels pretty good. I got to say, the first time I ever dunked was better than giving a really good gift. I got to say, it, <laughs> it was really special. Okay, it was but very don't unique. try to like stop taking away from my... <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'm very sorry. That's fair, 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 fair. <laughs> it's, Yeah. What's ooh? What's your favorite gift you've ever get, gave? Oh, and that'll be the, then we'll get out of here, so you can go shopping for maybe another gift. No, the last minute ones are never that great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, uh, I will say just because of like the it it was one of those ones that wasn't like asked for or really like um, even hinted at, but I got uh, my dad a really cool vest. Like, I feel like men get to a point, some of men in their lives, where they're, like, into vests, but they don't, yep. like, know how to start, like, Vests wearing, are definitely a thing. Wearing them. And I'm talking kind of, like, not, like, crazy technical vest, like, a, like a mountaineering vest. And I'm not talking about a formal vest. It's just kind of, like, it's got a certain amount of pockets. It's, like, fitted, but, like, not too fitted. Uh, a bit warming you know it's just like a versatile thing they can kind of throw on anything and it like ties everything together and there's like room for all their junk because like dads typically have a lot of just like stuff in their pockets most times my dad just started wearing a vest by the way yeah unbelievable listeners i want to say if you feel like your dad is is nearing this time in his life i would encourage you to uh get him a vest because the one I got from my dad, he still wears it almost every single day into the summertime. And <laughs> the week I gave it, like the week after Christmas, when I gave it to him that year, he sent me a photo every day that he had my mom take of him, like photo shoot style posing of him wearing the vest. Sometimes thinking, staring off into the distance, sometimes pretending like he's going for something in the pocket of the vest. Uh, and just like, how happy this like kind of not active gift (laughs) made him uh and because it was so unexpected but 
you know, seemed to really enhance his everyday life in that sense, even because it was like a super superfluous gift in a way, you know? It That's wasn't fantastic. Like something he needed, nor something he thought he wanted, but it's something he loved so much. So, yeah, I feel like the vest, the vest stands out for me. That's, I think, that's the perfect gift. Because obviously people want things. But when you identify something that they need that they didn't know they needed mm-hmm. and you get it for them, that's the perfect gift, I think. So it sounds like you hit the nail on the head with that one. Thanks. And I'm, I'm probably going to see him wearing it later today. So it's great. <laughs> big moves. <laughs> big vest moves. Yeah, big vest moves. <laughs> What's your best gift you've given? The best gift i've gotten getting sheesh wow Jeez. all right <laughs> best gift i've gotten um my mom has well the dog i got when i was 12 izzy lives with my mom and izzy is older now and can't quite jump up onto the bed oh. izzy will kind of rough and growl at my mother when she leaves the bed at night. And so I got my mom steps for Izzy to get up onto the bed. And I think that's very helpful. That so that she doesn't have to wake up. Beautiful gift. That's yeah, I, very thoughtful. <laughs> You're enhancing the lives of two separate creatures. Well, a person and a creature. Yeah. And also for my dog Poe, I haven't put him in any clothing. Although he would look darling. And I've done that so that he can be more comfortable. So that's, you know, it's a gift to him that I'm not subjecting him to clothing as a dog. The gift of respect. Yeah. Exactly. He does have a little bandana, though. But it's because he gets so cold in in Saskatoon. So he has to be warmed up a little. It's his first time seeing snow. He's a little Mexican guy. And he, (laughs) he, it's so funny because it's cold outside and he's never felt cold. So he shakes... He shakes off like he's wet because he feels the cold in the air. So he's like, oh, there must be water on me. And he just shakes like he's wet all the time when he's outside. It's really funny. I feel him. The cold bearing down on you. Oh, Exactly. This little small man. Okay. Well, (laughs) Katie, (laughs) I feel like that's (laughs) a little small man out on the town. All right. I feel like this is a great place for you to take the floor. It's all yours to tell the people where to find you, what to do. Okay, guys. Uh, (laughs) You can uh, subscribe to Basketball Feelings uh, if you haven't, where um, Sam decided to read out beautifully uh, an excerpt from the most recent Basketball Feelings. Uh, That's on Substack, basketballfeelings.substack.com. You can follow me on Twitter at whatas, W-T-E-V-S, where I'm just like, that's where all the freelance stuff that I'm doing is going up. Today, this morning, uh, the latest thing I've written is a comprehensive gift guide of what to get your favorite NBA player for Christmas. And they're all there, folks. We got Jokic, we got Durant, we got Westbrook, we got Ja Morant, we got Kyle Lowry. Anybody you could think of, they're on this list. And I've thought of the perfect gift that you could give them. <laughs> Will you give us one teaser? What's what's one gift? Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. This is tough now because I have to pick the best one. Okay. Devin, Devin Booker. <laughs> uh, the only thing a permanently petulant and permanently 16-year-old boy who has everything he would or could want. 
the skin of the sun's gorilla as a coat. Okay. I like it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. The sun's gorilla. I wonder how they stumbled onto that. Just a terrifying representation. Yeah, uh, it's... Wait, here. I have another one for okay. our dearly departed friend, Kawhi Leonard. <gasps> the same thing he wishes for every year a reasonable sense of accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was also you noted in your basketball feelings was stumbling onto a very intimate moment of Kawhi's and trying to leave yes. so that he could have it. Yes. He, maybe uh, that was a Christmas gift that you gave him and maybe one of the best gifts you've ever given. It could have been, you know, he was just like extremely lost trying to reunite with his family. And then there they were. And I was like, I'm a real interloper in this situation. For a moment, did you think he was smiling because he saw you? And it was like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> I mean, I think your heart naturally thrills at something like that. But then you realize pretty quick, no, that smile's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But listener, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Katie, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute blast and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Listener, addressing you again, I'm going to play you out. <laughs> with a very special song, but I just want to thank you for listening, and whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day, and goodbye. Happy holidays. I'm workshopping something, okay? I'm an intro for you and tell me tell me what you think. Okay. <laughs> what are we thinking? Huh? Why the war song for me? Oh, I don't know. Thought it'd be <laughs> Sure. Do it. Okay, I'll put it in post. <laughs> Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.